This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Hi, my name is Becky Sedgwick. I'm part of the team of Parenting for Faith, and this is the Parenting for Faith podcast. In this week's episode, we'll be finding out what Black Cherry Jam can teach us about sharing God with our kids. We've got a question about how to help teens stick to their principles when they're out and about with their friends. And then our wildcard section is some pondering on God as our parent. And of course, as ever, we'll end with a question to start an interesting conversation. So, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself doing things and, to be honest, I'm not really sure why I do them. I mean, not the kind of like uh, pushing old age, what on earth am I doing in this room and why am I doing this sort of thing, but why do I have certain habits or just do things in particular ways? For example, I was making jam the other day. I do make jam. I make a lot of jam. But it was one of those really hot days and I was stirring this jam pot and I just thought, why am I making jam? And quick as a flash, the answer came back. I'm making jam because mum always made jam. But mum never told me I had to make jam and I don't remember her teaching me how to make jam. I was just around as she made jam all through my childhood, pots and pots and pots of them. And one day, just after I got married, I saw a bargain box of beautiful black cherries in the grocery store just down the road from where we lived. This is a bit of an aside, but I need to tell you about the shop because it was so amazing. We were living in a city and the shops were like a bit more exciting than the ones from when I'd grown up. But this one was incredible. It was run by a Korean family and it was like mostly fruit and vegetables, but they had fruit and vegetables I'd never even dreamt of. Things like black peppers next to the orange and red ones and sort of exotic little mushroomy things I would never touch in a million years. And then the weirdest thing were edible fern fronds. But I digress. They had this big box of bargain black cherries and I bought them. And as soon as I bought them, I thought, I'll make jam. I'd never made jam, but because I'd seen mum do it, I knew it was possible and I knew it was good. Uh, Just for the record, the jam turned out quite well, but only after one full start and a very long distance call with mum to sort it all out. And that got me thinking, what else do I do just because of the way I saw things done when I was growing up? Well, I don't do everything my parents did, but I realise there is a lot I do do because they did. For example, I will always try and fix something myself before calling in an expert because that's what my dad always did. Uh, It's usually disastrous, by the way. I always leave out a pillowcase for Father Christmas, resisting strongly calls for a stocking, because that's what my parents always did. When my daughter wanted a pet, we got a hamster, because my parents always bought us hamsters. And I always do the outside of a puzzle first, because we always did. And thinking about it now, I see how much of my adult life has been unconsciously shaped by how I was brought up. Father Christmas, massive pillowcase. Pet, hamster. 
because I'd seen my parents doing these things, I knew what to do when I was in that situation. So when I saw that bargain box of cherries, I knew exactly what to do with them. At Parenting for Faith, we call that creating windows. Creating windows is when a kid sees what you do in a particular situation and then they tuck that idea into their back pocket for some point in the future so that when they find themselves in a similar situation, they have an idea of what they can do. It's not about sitting your kid down and lecturing them. Now, when you're older, you might see a bargain box of black cherries in a grocery store and then you will make jam. It's just about them being around, seeing how you do life in all sorts of situations. And of course, when we're parenting our kids for faith, we want to create windows into our spiritual lives, our ordinary, everyday, up and down relationship with God, how we connect with him, what habits we have that help us learn about him, who he is and what he does when we're in a crisis. We really want to show our kids all these things about God. We want to show them what's possible and what's good so that when they're finding it difficult to hear him, they can remember what we do in that situation. Or they remember us worshipping as we walk through the woods and think, oh, I could try that. And that got me thinking a bit more. What windows had my parents unwittingly created into their relationship with God that I had noticed and tucked away for future use that has shaped my relationship with God now? There was lots I hadn't seen about their relationship with God. I don't ever remember seeing them having a quiet time, for example, but there were some things I remember vividly. I remember being allowed to stay up on Sunday evenings for the first part of the after church fellowship that met in our house. It was so exciting. Lots of people chatting about God, what he'd done, laughing and, and kind of belonging together. And then after I'd been sent to bed, I would drift off to sleep to the sound of their worshipping. I got this little glimpse, this little window into how precious and important being part of a church family is. And I remember that when I was about 10, a lady at church suddenly got ill and died. Marjorie was only in her 50s and everyone was completely devastated. But when my parents got back from the funeral, I overheard them talking about how people had sung and praised God at the graveside because Marjorie was now in heaven. And I got a glimpse of how we can trust God's goodness even in death and how death isn't the end but the beginning of something better that still shapes my view of death now. And there were more things. The little window that was created when I used to go with my dad to church to do bits of maintenance that helped me see we all have an important part to play in the body of Christ. And how we always prayed in the car before we set off on a long journey. Although I did wonder why we didn't pray about short journeys. And how, if my dad was doing a talk at church, he always started by spending time praying to God about it. And none of these things were actually taught to me. No one sat me down and said, one day when you're older, you might do a talk in church. And if you do, you must always pray first. But all of them have profoundly impacted me many years later. My parents didn't know they were creating windows. They were just doing their ordinary, everyday, up and down life with God, with me in the room. So I think this is just about encouraging you. When I first came across Parenting for Faith and learned about creating windows, I got really stressed about trying to remember to do it. Had I created a, a good enough window into my experience of exams that will help my kid? Did I create a window into how I read my Bible? Have I created a, a good window into what worship's like for me? And I'd worry about missed opportunities and worse, that I created windows 
into not so great stuff. But over time, I've learned not to worry. Don't worry about if you're creating enough windows or the right windows or doing it correctly. Sure, there'll be times when you think, aha, I could just let them stay up to see this or ooh, I might just drop casually into the conversation that God used that worship song to speak to me today. But most of the time, don't worry about it. By watching your ordinary everyday up and down life with God, your kids are resolving what is possible and what's good so that at some point in the future, they'll have an idea of what to do. Just do life with God, with your kids in the room. They might never make cherry jam, but they'll definitely have an idea of how to do life with God themselves. So we're back to school and you might find that all those friendship issues rear their heads again. This week's question is from one of our Bedtime Drinks with Rachel Facebook Lives. If you haven't come across these yet, they take place on the 10th Monday of every month. That's a great idea. It means whatever Monday of that month has a 10th, like the 15th. Genius, isn't it? Anyway, this question was asked during our Facebook Live on navigating friendship drama. We've all been there and came from the parent of a teenager. How do you help a teen stick to their, not our principles, when in difficult situations parties without being a helicopter parent? Right, several things. If you have a kid who is, they're like in difficult situations, like, okay, uh, they're getting older and they're gonna be places where there are all sorts of things. Um, one thing is, uh, so I know many parents who do different things, um, but you're saying, I want you to be a powerful person always. You are responsible for your actions. You're responsible for your thoughts, no matter what anybody else is doing. There could be a thousand crazy people around you doing all sorts of irresponsible things, and I expect you to be responsible for yourself. Even if you're in a mob, you're responsible for you. And so uh, there are parents I know who are like, prove to me why I would be a genius to let you go to this party. Like, talk to me about how you're going to stick to who you want to be in that. So tell me who you want to be at this party. Tell me how you're going to make sure you stick to that so that I know you got a plan. And uh, and then kids, <laughs> I've seen kids have like board charts, you know, like on, on, on like a flip chart being like, right, I, I am about to, you know, I've, I've decided I will not drink. I will, um, you know, not make sure I'm the house mom responsible for everybody else, but I will be responsible for me. Uh, and I will make sure that I leave if I feel like it gets, you know, and, uh, and so therefore if somebody offers me a drink, then my answers are these things. And so you sort of prove to your parent why you are wise. Um, I know some parents who are like, alcohol scares me. And we have a thing in our family about alcohol. So I want you to tell me the answer to this quiz. And they come up with like alcohol quizzes. Prove to me that you know enough that I can trust you. Build my trust in you sticking to what you've decided. Tell me what you've decided and build my trust. And so rather than saying, these are my rules, you obey them. It's saying, you know my values. You know, you have to take care of my heart so that I know that you are going to be the Eunice of you. And therefore, if you're struggling with that, and if you're in scenarios with that, or if you um, found yourself compromising yourself, then I'm not okay with that. And I'm going to help you make that not happen anymore. So this restriction can come and we may, you know, if you can't maintain yourself with that, then we'll shrink it back a little bit so you can grow in confidence to do it well. Because it's important to me that you, um, that you always feel strong and powerful in control of what's happening. 
and uh, I need to walk that with you. And so it's sort of helping them articulate what their values are and and still holding them to it. It's okay to say, these are my standards and I hold you to it. Um, but it's coming up with something that you both agree with. I remember everyone has, I've heard so many different ones. My, my mom used to say I had, I had to call her every half hour with a location and permission and you know, so that she could hear my voice and know what was happening. And so if everyone has their own stories of how their parent did it, but, um, but having those conversations. And the other thing I would really suggest, particularly with teenagers, is to be available when they're available. So when they come home from those parties, when they come home from those dis- difficult situations, um, being available to have those conversations and kind of making that a part of life as you come home and you tell me about your evening and how was it and what was going on and, and you know, what was the most frustrating part and stuff so that you, you're not saying be accountable for what you did, but being available in the midst of those emotions and situations so that you can debrief with them, even if it's 10 minutes, you know, a half hour, um, being available when they come home so that you're not trying to catch up four days later on a difficult situation that you knew was going to happen, but you're, you're with them. It's that third, walking alongside. Commit to walking alongside them because you want what's best for them and you're there to encourage them in that. For our wildcard section, Rachel took a few moments out of writing her next book, very exciting, to share some thoughts on what it really means when we talk about God as our parent. Hi, my name is Rachel Turner, and I wanted to talk with you about God as a parent. I am currently in the middle of writing uh, a book that will be coming out in February, uh, which is Parenting for Faith for Babies and Toddlers. Uh, nurturing your nurturing your child's spiritual something something I can't remember the official title, but um, it is a, a book really that is focusing on the spiritual life of babies and toddlers and how can we as parents uh, really help them uh, in those initial stages because uh, everything in parenting for faith is sort of the same but. Uh, in terms of the five tools. But sometimes it's hard to figure out, well, how do I do chat and catch with the baby? And uh, so we're going to talk about that in the book. And I have some encouragements in there as well. And I I just struck me that I'm not sure I've talked about this before. And I I wanted to say it, that um, sometimes we look at God as a parent and we think, God is the perfect parent. That's what scripture tells us. He, he is the perfect parent. He is perfect and he describes himself as a parent. And I love how God describes himself. He describes himself not only as a father, but he describes himself as a mother. And uh, he talks about the tenderness of a mother. He talks about the discipline of a father. He talks about just the, the burden of a parent and his emotions about his kids. And well, it just goes on and on and on. And, um, I love that he describes himself as a parent, but what can happen to us as parents as we then instantly pull out our parent grief, not grief, our parent guilt, and we go, wow, God's a perfect parent and I'm a terrible parent or I am just not a perfect parent and I'll never be good enough and God's perfect and I'm not and he expects me to be better than I am and we all of a sudden are down a spiral of... God's such a better parent than I am, and I want to be like him, but I can't. And we begin to look at ourselves and all of our imperfections, and we can feel like there's a standard that we're failing at as a parent. And I 
I just felt like it's really important that we understand that the reason God describes himself as a parent is not so that we can measure ourselves up and see how much we're failing (laughs) to be a parent like him, but so that we can understand what it's like to be parented by him as a child. Us looking at God the parent is about us being the child, being parented by God the parent. And I think that when we become parents, it allows us a little insight into God's heart for us. It is a a journey of every time that we sometimes have those, you know, real pure moments. So much of, of parenting isn't pure, it's complicated and busy and but there are those moments of clarity when we when we can look at our child and be in awe of God's creation or look at our child and feel protective over them or to delight in their little accomplishments or to see a flicker of character in them, their their kindness or their joy. And we just are filled with pride. And as parents, that sense, whenever we get it of that overwhelming love or that, um, that pride, that delight in who they are and wanting them to be who they are and to not be squished by the world, that all of those things, Those moments are us tapping into the very heart of God. He promises us so much as our parents to love us and guide us and comfort us, to to walk with him, that he will um, be with us always, and that he cherishes our words, our connection. He wants us to run to him. And in a perfect world, that's all the things we feel about our kids. But we're imperfect people trying to parent imperfectly. But God, the perfect parent, is the perfect parent for all of us, for us, for our children. And and we get that glimmer from him. Um, and so I just I just wanted to encourage you that as you parent, look out for those moments. Look out for those moments that you think... I wonder if this is how God feels about me. And I think there'll be some lies in there. You know, like like when you get annoyed with your kid <laughs> and you think, this happens to me. If I get annoyed, I think, oh no, am I really annoying to God? <laughs> am I a really annoying child? And I can turn to God and say, God, am I really annoying? And he can respond to that and he can say, no, actually, I'm more patient than you think I am. Or I can uh, I can notice that I get stuck and I think, God, do you ever get get frustrated that I get stuck and we can have a conversation? And, and it's, it's an invitation into relationship. It's an invitation into conversation uh, because uh, God parents us and our experience of parenting opens up better conversations with us, with God. So, yeah, don't compare yourself. Just be in awe of what it's like to be parented by a perfect parent. And finally, this week's question to start an interesting conversation. If Jesus had a middle name, what do you think it would be and why? Enjoy your conversations.
Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course, to get in touch, or to find out about training and events near you. Thank you.